There, there we go. And I want to say a big hello to those of you sitting in the overflow room. Sorry, we didn't have room in here for you, but we're glad you're joining us for Easter. My name's Christian. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are so glad that you're with us today. So when I was in first grade, my first grade teacher was in her upper 60s. I think I had her her last year as a school teacher. She'd been teaching more than 40 years, and she told my parents that I asked more questions than any first grader that she had ever taught in 40 years of education. She said, what is wrong with your son? What is wrong with me is I like to know the reason why things happen the way they do. I've just got a curious mind, and I always want to know why, why are things the way that they are. And one question that I always had is, why is Christmas always on December 25th, but Easter's on a different day? Like, how come, how come Christmas gets its own day on the calendar and never changes, but Easter is always on a Sunday, but it's like a, a different Sunday? And when I finally got to Bible college, I, I asked a professor about that. It had bothered me that long. I finally said, hey, why, are, why is Christmas always on the same day, but Easter changes? And he said, great question. Christmas is a Christian holiday. Christian holidays usually just get slapped on a calendar, and you celebrate an event that happened. But he said, Easter is based on Passover. Passover is a Jewish holiday, and all the Jewish holidays are based on the cycle of the moon. So Easter changes because Easter is based on the spring moon, like the moon that's in the sky. He said, here's what you need to know. Easter is always the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the spring equinox, March 21st. Just in case you care, most of you don't, but for the one or two who do. Easter is always the first Sunday after the first full moon, first full moon of of April was last night, actually, of March, um, after March 21st. So it changes. And since 1900, Easter has always been between March 23rd and April 25th, but the date it has been on least is today, April 1st. This is only the fifth time since 1900 that Easter has been on this day in history. The last time Easter was April 1st was 1956, which means if you're under the age of 62, you have never had Easter on this day in your life. Like Easter's never been on April Fool's. Easter's not an April Fool's. It would have been a good one, right? To jump out. Surprise, like I'm not dead. Uh, like it, it would have been <laughs> April Fool's. I'm still alive. Like it wasn't April Fool's. I don't think the holiday's based on that. Um, but not since 1956 has Easter been on this day. The the other three times, 1923, 1934, 1945. And on April 1st, 1945, Easter Sunday, one of the most courageous pastors in the history of the world was sitting in Buchenwald and his story is amazing. He came from a very wealthy, very well-known family in Germany. His family was a family of scientists. His dad was the lead scientist in Germany while he was growing up. His dad was also an agnostic. He didn't believe in God. He wasn't a religious person. His older brother was one of three scientists along with Albert Einstein to split the atom for the very first time. And this was a family that would all grow up to be famous scientists. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer's brother was killed in World War I. And after his brother died in the war, he could not shake the sense that he had to figure out the meaning of life, the purpose of life. He had to figure out what happened after this life. And he, and he felt like he had to give his life to theology and learn the things of God or else he couldn't be comfortable with what had happened to his brother. So at the age of 13, he started studying theology. By the age of 19, he had his PhD in theology and he became the most famous well-known, well-respected pastor in all of Germany. So much so that when World War II was getting ready to start, a group of wealthy Germans raised money to send him to America so he could wait out the war in America because they said, somebody's going to have to come help rebuild the church in Germany. You can't die. We're going to send you to America. When the war is over, you can come back and help the church become what God wants it to become. So he got on a boat and sailed to America. He was there 26 days before he said, I'm not supposed to be here. 
He bought himself a boat ticket back across the Atlantic. He walked into a room where the people who had raised the money to send him to America were in a meeting. And they looked at him and said, what are you doing? And he said, I made a mistake. He said, I'm not supposed to be in America during World War II. I'm supposed to be in Germany. God has called me to be a voice for people who don't have a voice. God has called me to help people who are hurting. I need to be here. And he had three goals for why he went back to Germany. One was to help the Jews who were being sent to the Holocaust. He said, I did everything in my power to help as many Jews as I can escape the Holocaust. Two was to help Christians stay strong. Christians were fleeing the church. They were fleeing the country. And he said, no, Christians have to stay and they have to help people. And three was to assassinate Hitler. His brother-in-law was in the German CIA and was the leader of a coup within the government to assassinate Hitler, to try to destroy the Nazi party, and to take Germany back over with a healthy view of itself in its relation to the world. They failed, but they were caught, and they were all put in concentration camps. So on April 1st, 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer found himself in a concentration camp waiting to die. Now, five weeks later, Germany would surrender. May 7th, 1945, they surrendered and said, we're out. Eight days before they surrendered, Hitler killed himself and his family in his private bunker in Berlin. But exactly three weeks before Hitler would take his own life, he found out where Dietrich Bonhoeffer was because he said, I'm not going to let that pastor, who he hated more than anyone in Germany, live through this war. So on April 9th, he ordered him hanged. He was hanged, and then he was incinerated with the Jews that he had went back to Germany to protect. You say, man, what what would drive somebody to live and die a life like that? Like what would possess somebody to care so much about others and so much about purpose in life that they would literally be willing to go to a concentration camp and die? For Bonhoeffer, it was his faith. And we learn from Bonhoeffer, because he was so famous, almost every sermon that he preached was written down and sold. We have them from all of history now. And in 1933, he preached a famous sermon on death where he told people, listen, we can live with purpose Because death is not the end. And he made this statement about death in 1933. He said, how do we know that dying is so dreadful? Who knows whether in our human fear and anguish, we're only shivering and shuddering at the most glorious, heavenly, blessed event in the world. I mean, death is hell and night and cold if it is not transformed by our faith. But that is just what is so marvelous that we can transform death. And it becomes the last station on the road to freedom. You know, historians who wrote on Bonhoeffer's life and ministry, the courage that he had to live, the courage which he died with, said one event shaped his life more than any other event to allow him to live the way he lived, and it was the resurrection of Jesus at Easter. Bonhoeffer said, if Jesus really raised from the dead, that means death is not the end, but it's just a small part of our eternal existence, so I'm not going to live in fear of it. I'm going to live for who God called me to be. For Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Easter changed everything. And I want to thank you for celebrating Easter with us this weekend. For those of you who are here, for those of you in our overflow room, thank you for celebrating Easter with us. But I don't just want to celebrate Easter together this year. I want to ask you, have you been changed by Easter? Have you been deeply impacted by Easter? Could there be a greater purpose for Easter than you're even aware of? I want to go back 2,000 years and look at the first Easter and try to answer that question with you. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 24. The verses will be on the screen. If you have our Journey Church International app, everything on the screen will be right on your phone. You can email yourself the notes at the end of the message. Pull your notes out of your bulletin. You say, what if I don't want to take notes? Well, if you want to know when the sermon's going to be over, because some of you are already wondering, how much longer till we're done? When we get to the end of the notes will be done. So it'll actually help you figure this out because every year at Easter, there's three types of people. 
those who go to our church, um, so they come on Easter to celebrate Easter. Um, those who have been invited by somebody and those who have been forced to come by grandma. She won't let you come and eat lunch at her house until you've gone to church with her. So we're glad all of you are here. The notes will help you realize when we're going to be done. In Luke 24, we find out what happened on that first Easter Sunday. My goal on this Easter Sunday is not really to prepare you to die. I mean, if, if you're not at peace with that, I think we can help with what we talk about. But my purpose today is to prepare you to live. My purpose today, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, is to help you see Easter in a way that allows you to live with purpose now and the potential of living with eternity later. That's the goal of Easter. So let's look at Luke chapter 24. Luke was a historian. He never personally met Jesus, but he told us at the beginning of his book, I talked to people about all these facts who were eyewitnesses. Here's what he tells us about the first Easter. It says, on the first day of the week, in Israel 2,000 years ago, that was Sunday, not Monday. So Sunday morning. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women, we'll learn their names in a minute, took spices they'd prepared, and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? He said, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. When's the last time you took a few minutes to just wonder what really happened on Easter and what that could mean for you? Because I am of the opinion that Easter is about more than Easter egg hunts and new outfits and a family lunch. Um, I believe Easter, if it happened the way that Luke says it happened, has the potential to change not just the world, but my world, my life, and your life. And I want to show you today two things about Easter that we see in Luke chapter 24. What I believe is the promise of Easter and the potential of Easter. Because I think when you understand these and the decision you can make because of these, that you, like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, can have your life forever changed by an event that happened in Israel 2,000 years ago. Let's look at the promise of Easter. The promise of Easter is the open tomb. The promise of Easter is the open tomb. We enter Luke's story and he tells us right off the bat, it's Easter Sunday morning and the tomb is open. The promise of Easter is the open tomb. Luke 24, one says on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared. They went to the tomb, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. The promise of Easter is that Jesus' tomb was open, but this isn't just the promise of Easter. Like, this is the picture of Easter. Like, if the only thing we know of Easter is three crosses on a hill, that's only half of the picture. It's not the end of the story. This is the promise of Easter, and it's the picture of Easter, the picture of the tomb that we have here behind me that we've tried to replicate a little bit. Uh, In 2012, I took my first of six trips to Israel. I go and I lead mission trips with our church from Israel, and I landed about 24 hours before our group would get there. I always try to fly in early because I teach about 25 times over 10 days, just try to get settled in and ready to go. And when I met my host at the airport, I'd never been to Israel, he said, where do you want to go? And I said, I want to go to the tomb. And he said, well, don't you want to go to the hotel? We've been flying for about 20 hours. Don't you want to go to the hotel and clean up, rest a little bit? I said, no, I want to go to the tomb. 
He said, well, normally we like to try to kind of take people to the tomb, you know, at the end of the tour. So where, where else would you want to go? And I said, I want to go to the tomb. So he said, okay. We got in a car, we drove to Jerusalem, and we went to the tomb. The first picture that I've ever took in Israel of the thousands that I've taken was the picture of the tomb. And it was open. One of two places where they believe that Jesus could have been buried. And the open tomb was really all I wanted to see. I could have got on a plane and come home and been deeply impacted by that experience. You say, why? Because if that really happened, like it changes things. I mean, if a guy really died and was buried and then raised from the dead, that changes things. It changes things. For me, it means that one day when I die and am buried, that possibly I could experience life after that death. It means something that somebody lived after they died. The open tomb has meant everything to me. But maybe it's a stretch for you to believe it. Maybe you're thinking, come on, Christian, good story, great holiday. But do you really, like deep down in your heart, do you really believe somebody died and lived again? Isn't that kind of a stretch? Yes. Yeah, of course. To believe somebody died and was buried and raised again? Yes, it it would take a little faith to believe that. And as we read through the first Easter, we find out that Jesus' best friends didn't believe it. Did you catch it? I mean, Jesus' best friends, it says when the women came back, they came back to the 11. Who were the 11? They were the 11 of Jesus' disciples that were still there after Judas had kind of run off and done his own thing. And what did the 11 say? These 11 people who'd spent every day of the last three years with Jesus. These 11 people who'd seen Jesus heal people. These 11 people who'd seen Jesus raise people from the dead. These 11 people who'd seen Jesus kind of create food off of almost nothing. These 11 people who'd seen Jesus walk on water heard the tomb is open. And they said, that's crazy. Look at verse 11. In case you missed it, this is the reaction of the first Easter. They came and told the 11, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. They said, it's crazy to think that somebody could die and come back to life. Listen, you're not alone if you struggle to see the open tomb. Some of you say, the the reason I don't think I could ever be a Christian, the reason I don't think I could ever follow Jesus is because it's really hard for me to believe that somebody could die and raise again. That doesn't have to keep you from following Jesus. It's just going to take a little faith. It doesn't make sense naturally. It didn't make sense to them. But in faith, they were willing to believe it until they could see it. You know, four authors wrote stories about the life and ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of them from kind of a different point of view. You have to read all of them to really understand who Jesus is. All of them talked about the first Easter Sunday morning. Peter, who was one of the apostles closest to Jesus, had a very good friend named Mark. Peter told Mark all about the things he had seen and experienced with Jesus. And Mark wrote Peter's book down. When you read the book of Mark, you're really reading the voice of Peter. And Peter told Mark that even the people closest to Jesus weren't really sure about this whole open tomb resurrection thing. From Peter's point of view in Mark, here was the thought as they were going to the tomb that morning. We get to see inside the point of view of the women when Sabbath was over. Remember Sabbath in Israel, Saturday. So here again, we're on Sunday morning. When Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome brought spices so they might go to anoint Jesus body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who's going to roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb. They were not going to see someone who was alive. They didn't go with a spice latte and, and like muffins. They, they didn't take breakfast to Jesus. They took burial spices for a dead body. And their big concern was, what if, what if we can't move the stone? 
What if we can't actually get to the body of Jesus? What if something is going to keep us from getting to Jesus on this first Easter? There was concern among the women as to a barrier that might keep them from Jesus. You say, what was the barrier? There was this massive stone that was laid in front of the entrance to the tomb, and they weren't sure how they were going to be able to move that. Can one of us move it? Can we move it together? Do you think we can find some guy walking by that will help us? What if we can't get to Jesus? What if there's a barrier that separates us? Let me ask you, sitting in this room today, and those of you in our overflow room, what's the barrier that's keeping you from Jesus today? What's the thing in your life that's kept you from connecting to Jesus personally. You're aware of him. Maybe you've even grown up around the story, but there's a stone in the way that's kept you from ever getting to Jesus. Maybe you're like Bonhoeffer's dad. Bonhoeffer's dad, a scientific agnostic atheist. Maybe you've studied so much science that you can't make the leap to spiritual, to faith. Maybe you consider yourself an agnostic. Nobody can really know. Maybe you consider yourself an atheist. There can't really be a God. Maybe you're like Bonhoeffer's dad, and up until this point, the facts of life have always been a barrier to you. But deep down, you've wrestled with questions like, why am I here, and what am I created for, and what happens after I die that science will never have the answer for. So you realize there's a spiritual element to your life. You've, you've just not been able to get across that barrier. Maybe you're like the Roman soldiers that crucified Jesus. I mean, just a few days earlier, there were Roman soldiers who literally put the nails in Jesus' hands. They put the nails in his feet. One of them stood beneath the cross, probably thinking, if this guy is really God's son, I am going to hell. Like, that had to be his thought standing there after he nailed him to the cross. And then he hears Jesus whisper, God, forgive that guy. He didn't know what he's doing. And as he dies, that soldier says, truly, I think this is God's son. Maybe you walked in here thinking, listen, if... God might love a lot of people. He can't love me. Like Christian, if you knew who I was, if you knew how I treated my ex, if you knew what my kids thought about me, if you knew how I'd stolen from my employers, Christian, I've been in jail. Like if you knew who I was, God can love a lot of people, but I don't think Christianity can be for me. I know Christians. I'm not them. And that's always been a barrier for you. Maybe you're like Luke who wrote this book. You say, what was Luke's story? Luke really didn't have any faith in his life until he was an adult. Luke didn't grow up around church. Luke didn't grow up around faith. We don't read that any of Luke's family ever came to faith. He was like on his own. And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I'm 20, 30, 40, 50. Last year on Easter, we had a lady in her 90s who decided to follow Jesus for the first time. Maybe you're thinking, I don't think Christianity is for me. Like I I didn't grow up going to church. I don't know anything about it. I don't think I can do that. Or maybe you're like Mary and Martha. You say, who were Mary and Martha? They were great friends of Jesus. Until their brother died. And these great friends of Jesus begin to wonder, how good of a guy can this guy be if he would allow someone he cared about to suffer and die? I mean, how much trust can we put in this guy if he would let someone that he knew was sick suffer and die? Maybe that's your barrier. It's a big barrier. We've had kind of a a tough week at Journey this week. Last Sunday morning, one of our elders got a call that his mother had died in her sleep. Just just like that. Totally unexpected. Friday after our first Easter service, one of our staff members had their father pass away. And a week before that, one of our dads in his young thirties went to have a routine surgery done. And when they opened him up to do the routine surgery, they found so much cancer. They didn't even complete the surgery. They just closed him up and said, you need to call your family and say goodbye. Um, you're not going to make it long. It's been a hard week, been a hard week around journey to, to ask God, God, what are you doing here? 
Like, God, well, what's going on here? You say, Christian, how can you get on stage after a week like that and say God is good and say that Jesus cares? How can you have faith after a week like that? Listen, only because of Jesus and only because of Easter. See, because of Jesus and because of Easter, I don't believe death is the end. I just believe it's a season that we pass through to our eternal life that God wants us to have. And listen, as long as the tomb is open, you have an opportunity to connect with Jesus. As long as the tomb is open, you have an opportunity to connect to Jesus. You, you say, but I, I walked in, I would consider myself an atheist. You can step into faith today. You say, but I have done so much wrong. A lot of, God could love a lot of people, not me. No, you can be forgiven today. You say, but I wasn't raised around church. This is the first time I've ever sat in church. Are you sure I could become a Christian? You can start your journey today. You say, but I've been so mad at God. Because I don't understand suffering, I've been so mad at God. Listen, nobody hates death more than God, which is why he created the ability ability for us to pass through it and live for an eternity. You see, as long as the tomb is open, you have an opportunity to connect to Jesus. And as long as the tomb is open, you can step out of it and you can step into life. As long as the tomb is open, you have an opportunity to connect to Jesus. And as long as the tomb is open, you can step out of the tomb and into life. The tomb is open so you can get out, not so you can get in. Just in case you weren't aware of that. The tomb is open so you can step out, not in. You say, how exactly does that happen? Listen to the words of Jesus written down by his friend John. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And they will not be judged, but they've crossed over from death to life. Do you see? Jesus said, you can step out of death. Let me read it again. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. They will not be judged, but they've crossed over from death to life. Jesus says, because the tomb is open, if you will place your faith in me, if you will connect to God through me, Jesus says this, if you will let God judge me for what you've done wrong, instead of judging you for what you've done wrong, if you let me take your judgment on the cross, you can step right out of that grave. You can step out of death and you can step into life. Some of you are thinking, Christian, hang on, wait a minute. Just want to hear this real clear. If you're saying I can step out of the tomb, are you saying like I'm in the tomb? Because like I'm, I'm right here, I'm alive, I am not in the tomb, I don't plan on going for a while. If you're saying I can step out of the tomb, are you implying this morning that you think I'm in the tomb? The answer to that question is maybe or maybe not. I don't know, because I don't know everyone in here personally. But I do know that choice is up to you. Are you saying that I am in the tomb? I don't know. But I know you are the only one who can make the choice to stay or step out. See, the promise of Easter is the open tomb. But number two, the potential of Easter is the empty tomb. I want you to see this because they're two different things. The promise of Easter is the open tomb. The potential of Easter is the empty tomb. The women in Peter, really excited when they saw that the tomb was open. The women in Peter, really confused when they saw that the tomb was empty. They were glad they could get in. But when they got in and there was nothing there, they said, what's going on? Look at the story again. Luke chapter 24. Let's go back to the first Easter on the first day of the week. Very early in the morning, the women took the spices they prepared. They went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about all this, why is the tomb empty? Where'd he go? Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. 
See, the tomb wasn't just open. It was empty. And here's why that's important. According to John 5, 24, every one of our tombs is open. Death can be stepped over, passed over. You can move from death to life. All of your tombs are open. But are they empty? That's the more important question. All of our tombs are open, but are all of our, question, are all of our tombs empty? That's the big question. And the answer is maybe or maybe not. Like in 1985, Whitney Houston asked the question that all of us should be asking today. Well, how will I know? Right? Like not how will I know if he really loves me, like God really loves you. But how, how will you know? How can you know if the tomb is empty? It's, it's easy. Have you stepped out to follow Jesus? Because 2 Corinthians 5.17, a man named Paul started a bunch of churches, one in a city named Corinth, wrote this to the church. He said, listen, how do I know if my tomb is empty? Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that phrase in Christ is saying, if anyone has put their hope in Jesus for this life and next, if anyone has put their past in the hands of Jesus to forgive, if anyone has placed their judgment on Jesus instead of themselves, if anyone trusts Jesus for their future instead of themselves, if anyone has asked Jesus to secure their turn, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone has become a Christian by following Jesus, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. They have stepped out of the tomb and they have a new life. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. So all of the tombs are open according to John 5, 24. Anyone can step from death to life. The question is, are they empty? It depends on whether you stepped out and stayed out. Let me tell you why I love Easter so much. I love Easter so much because every year at Easter, I get to tell people who have never heard the good news of who Jesus is, how much he loves you that he can forgive you, that God wants to have a relationship with you through his son Jesus. Every year at Easter, I get to tell people that who have never heard that before. People who have grown up in church, people who've never been to church, who have not had it just explained that easily. I love Easter because I get to tell people about Jesus and invite them to follow him. And a lot of people say, I want to do that. How do I do that? I'll tell you in a minute if that's you. But I also love Easter for this reason. Easter is the one Sunday of the year that hundreds of Christians will come to church who aren't really involved in church. I'm not saying that to chastise you. I'm glad you're here. You can come every Easter just on Easter if you want, and we'll try to have a seat for you. But I believe there's more. And I love Easter because it's, it's a chance for me to just remind Christians, hey, if you've stepped out, stay out. It's better out because I know so many Christians and I've been a Christian, right? Like, like when we first hear the message that Jesus died and we can step out of death into life, we make a spiritual decision and we step out and it's like, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And then we go back to work on Monday and we're, we're like the same old person. And then at some point in our faith life, like we get baptized, we step out again and we tell the world, I want to be a follower of Jesus. We declare that through our baptism, but then we go back to work on Monday. We come out at Christmas because everyone goes to church on Christmas, but then we go back before New Year's Eve and then we come out at Easter because it's Easter and that's what you do. But then we go back. Certainly we come out for mission trips that move our hearts, but then we go back. But if we have a prayer need, we come out because we need God. And there are so many Christians that literally have worn a pathway in and out of the tomb because they go between my spiritual life and my old life. And when I need spiritual things, I step into God, but I really want to hold on to so much of my old life. And I know so many Christians who have like their eternal life they've let out, but their old life, they're just still the same person. You say, yeah, that's me. That's me. My tomb is open, but it's, it's not empty. I mean, I've stepped out, 
but I really kind of, I really kind of live in. Listen, if that's you, you're not the first Christian to be that way. You're not the last Christian to be that way. As a matter of fact, every Christian I've ever met has a season in their life and a pretty well-worn path that allows them to stay kind of close to the old life. You're not the first Christian who's done that. You won't be the last Christian who does that. And as a matter of fact, one of the central players on Easter is right where you were. His name was Peter. Remember Peter? When the women came and told the disciples, hey, the tomb is empty, they were like, that's crazy. Peter said, I got to see this for myself. So it says Peter in Luke 24, 12, it says, Peter got up. He ran to the tomb and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself, what's happened? Peter walks into the tomb and it's empty. If you go and you step into the garden tomb in Israel, it's empty. You step in and to your right, you see three burial chambers Above one of them, go ahead and throw that picture up, guys, if you would. Above one of them is an ancient Christian symbol that has been there, they believe, for more than 1,600 years, which means within just a few hundred years of Jesus raising from the dead, they had set up a church in a tomb because a lot of Christians said this is where it happened. Three burial chambers there, one in the middle, one kind of tucked on the right that you can't see, and then this one on the left where they believe Jesus would have been laid. And guess what? He's not there. It's empty. It's open and it's empty. And when Peter went in and saw that it was open and empty, it said he wondered, what's that mean? When the women went in and saw that it was open and empty, they wondered, what does that mean? And listen, it says they were wondering about this. So let me ask you the question I started the message with. Have you ever wondered why the tomb is empty and what that means for you? Have you ever wondered why the tomb is empty and what that means for you? Because I believe the question that was rolling around in the apostle Peter's head as he walked away from the tomb that day, I don't think God was saying to Peter, where is he? I know that because the women already said he is in Galilee waiting for you. He knew where Jesus was. I don't think Peter was thinking, where is he? I think God was asking Peter, where are you? Where are you spiritually right now, Peter? What are you going to do with this information? You say, why is that? Because Peter, as a former follower of Jesus, Peter, as a disconnected follower of Jesus, Peter's last interaction with Jesus was not a good one. Just a few days earlier, he was kind of entertaining a group of people. Jesus had been arrested. He was kind of freaked out of his faith. He didn't want people to know. Peter was swearing, I don't know Jesus. I don't love Jesus. I've never even met Jesus. And he didn't know Jesus was standing right behind him. Have you ever been talking about somebody and you didn't know they were standing behind you, can hear you? It's really embarrassing. I imagine it'd be worse if it was Jesus. It'd be like, oh no, like the emoji where you smack yourself in the face. Like that would have been like Peter's feeling that day. Like, oh shoot. And it said, Jesus looked right at him. They said Jesus went on to prison, but it said Peter broke down crying and thought, you know, I've lost everything. I just burned my bridge with Jesus. And now he goes to the tomb. Jesus is not there. He's heard he's in Galilee waiting on you. And I think Peter's thinking, what, what do I do? Do I go? Do I not go? Because I stepped out of the tomb. Like I followed Jesus, but then I failed. So am I a failure? Do I re-engage in my faith? Mark, who wrote Peter's book, was the exact same way. He was with Jesus on the night he was arrested. And instead of helping, he ran away because he was afraid. Some of you are in here and you used to really walk closely with Jesus. But something has caused you to run away. You used to really walk closely with Jesus, but something has disconnected you. You say, what does Easter mean for me? It means come back. Jesus didn't chastise Peter. When he met him a few days later and he was fishing, he told Peter, listen, come back. Do you want to come back? Come back. You don't have to quit just because you failed. I forgive you. Let's do it again. 
If you're in here today and you say, man, I used to really walk with Jesus, but somehow distance has come, come back. Easter means come back. You say, but what if I fail this time? Then come back next year at Easter. You see, the message of Easter is whether it's the second time or the thousandth time, you can come back. You may be a Christian sitting in here. This is your first time in church this year. You don't plan to come back till Christmas. And if, if that's your pattern, come on back. But maybe God is speaking to your heart, and the reason you've developed that pattern is because you think you're unworthy. You think you're unwanted. You think you've not followed well enough. You're like Peter wondering, what does it all mean for me? Jesus is saying, come back. You can begin your second or thousandth chance today by making a commitment in your heart to say, you know what, I'm going to try again. And when you fail again, try again. That's the message of the gospel. But some of you are thinking, well, I'm not a Christian. What do I do? I'm not a Christian, but if I can really step out of the tomb and live eternally, then I want to become one. Like, I'm not a Christian. I've I've never really asked Jesus to forgive me, but if he will, then I want that. I'm not a Christian, but if I really don't have to be judged for my life because Jesus will take that for me, I want that too. How do I do do that? I'm not a Christian, but if that's what Christianity means, I, I want to be one. How do I do that? You just tell God. You see, the message of Easter is that the tomb is open and it can be empty, but only you can make that decision. You know, six weeks ago, one of the most famous Christians who's ever lived died at the age of 99. His name was Billy Graham. It said that Billy Graham spoke to more people about Jesus than any person in the history of the world, including Jesus or even the Apostle Paul. Audiences northward of 215 million people heard him preach live about Jesus. And he died a few weeks ago at the age of 99. It was big news. It was on all the news agencies. But when he died, as all the news channels started kind of sending out updates, Billy Graham died, Billy Graham died, Billy Graham's dead, Billy Graham's dead. At the exact same time that was happening, his son sent out a tweet from his biography that he'd written 25 years earlier about the day he would die. And on the day everyone was saying, Billy Graham died, Billy Graham died, Billy Graham died, Billy Graham died, his son said, here's what Billy wants you to know on this day. And this word from his biography came back to life 25 years later. Someday, you will read or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I shall be more alive than I am now. I will just have changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. The whole world saying Billy Graham's dead and Billy saying, no, I'm not. Listen, you're going to hear that. Don't believe it. I've just gone to heaven and I'm more alive now than I've ever been in my life. I don't know about you. I want to die with that kind of faith, but I want to live with that kind of faith because I'm not going to die until September 3rd, 2064. You say, wait a minute. How do you know that? Do you know you can go online and do a death calculator? I made my, (laughs) I made my tombstone this week. So Danielle wouldn't have to. The G stands for Gary. That's my, that's my dad, but that's also my first name. You can go to a death calculator online. You can put in your height. You can put in your weight. If you cheat a little bit, you can live longer. If you put in a little lower weight. What diseases or ailments that you have. Like, you know, you can put in, I have diabetes or I don't or whatever. And it will tell you. If on natural, if you don't get a disease, if you don't get in a car wreck, it'll tell you natural causes. This should be the day that you die. For me, September 3rd, 2064. It's a Wednesday. I'll be 86 years old. Six months and 30 days. You say, Christian, you going to be ready to die on September 3rd, 2064? No, because I'm ready to die today. I, like I already made the choice to step over. 
I don't want to wait till that day to make the choice. I already, already, made, already made the choice. I'm going to step over death and I'm going to step into life by connecting to Jesus. If he offers forgiveness, I'm going to take it. If he offers to take the judgment for all the things I've done wrong, I'm going to let him. And if he offers life that's bigger than I can have and longer than I can have, I'm going to take him up on that too. My question is, how about you? You see, I've already crossed over. I believe there's a purpose in my life to follow Jesus and serve him. And I believe the potential of that is to one day be with him forever. But it's all because of Easter. Bonhoeffer ended his famous sermon on death by talking about people who were aware of Jesus' offer. He said this, no one has yet believed in God, in the kingdom of God. No one has yet heard about the realm of the resurrected, what we call heaven, eternal life, and not been homesick for that hour, waiting and actually looking forward to being released from their bodily existence. Listen, the tomb is open and the tomb can be empty, but you got to step out. Would you bow your heads and pray with me?